Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, good to be back. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey with you on Tuesday, the 17th of December. How strange is it to say, even though it's year number two of this nonsense, that we are on the eve of National Signing Day, or the Early Signing Day, or whatever the heck it is we're actually calling the start of the early signing period, but it begins tomorrow and if any indication from a year ago turns out to be true for this year, somewhere between oh, 70 and 80% of the high school players in the country will uh, sign national letters of intent tomorrow, which is a little crazy to think about. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. It's what they do. It's what they've been doing for over 100 years. Check them out on the website, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. What's up, Borky? 77% last year, by the way. Which, as I said, was between right 70 between and 80%, 70 and 80. right? Yeah, so... Uh... I couldn't remember the exact number, so that felt like a safe range. Yeah, that's uh, that's about right. It, but uh, we're glad to have you back. And I know you Thanks. especially want to talk three hours uh, about how Drew Brees has entered into greatest of all time status. But, you know, we got plenty of time to get to that this afternoon. Uh, I know I sent you the notes, and that's all it had, so we'll get there. Yeah, that's fine. Um, it was really good. The, uh, the, the internet on the plane last night was pretty spotty. Uh, but I did get the Monday Night Football game turned on just in time to hear uh, Joe Tessitore say, 5-4-0 in the 5-0-4, which I thought was interesting call for a record-setting touchdown pass, but whatever works for you. You think he Something practiced that in his hotel room the day before? He has the same tone for everything. A team could catch a pass to win the Super Bowl versus, I don't know, somebody up the middle for a five-yard game. How would you feel? All right, so right now the rotation of Super Bowl announcers is Joe Buck from Fox. Good. Jim Nance from CBS. Good. Whether you love them or don't love them, whatever, you recognize that those two are high-quality, top-of-the-game announcers. There's no question Joe Tessitore has been really successful. Hey, Dad, how would you feel about Joe Tessitore calling a Super Bowl? I don't get overly emotional about the announcers one way or the other, especially a Super Bowl where, unless the Saints are playing in it, I'm I'm really not that locked in. I'm going to be more, you know, hey, what's on the appetizer table than anything else. But that said, Tessitore is definitely a tier below Buck, Nance, and, and Al Michaels for that matter, too. That's right. I forgot. I'm, I'm glad you said that because Al Michaels, NBC, obviously Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth are in the Super Bowl rotation as well. 
We're going to get to a story a little bit later this afternoon from Sports Business Journal that the very talented uh, reporter, sports business reporter John Oran wrote, made some predictions for the coming year that could potentially have Joe Tessitore calling a Super Bowl somewhere down the line. We'll get to that coming up a little bit later this afternoon. How's that for a tease, Borky? That's a really good tease. I mean, you went skiing and just didn't lose a step. But um, Joe Testor And thankfully, I didn't lose a limb doing that either. Oh, yeah, that's also good. I mean, I guess the only one you needed was, you know, your brain and stuff. You could have gone without an arm or something. But, you know, it's fine. I mean, I guess if I had to. If you had to. But... You said Joe Testor calling a Super Bowl. I'd be fine with that. I kind of like his theatrics. I think it's over the top, but you know, whatever. It's it's more entertaining. If they slap Booger McFarlane next to him, I will be that guy that watches the Super Bowl on on mute. I I've been indifferent about him because I haven't been emotionally invested in a game that he was calling. Oh my gosh, it, it makes your skin crawl, and I feel bad because he seems like a nice, well-intentioned guy. But he is abysmal at that job. I mean, uh, horrible. And he also did draw a uh, an anatomy part on the Telestrator on accident, too. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was curious exactly how you were going to say that. I mean, he's just terrible. He there, said, it was two circles with an oval in between. They were all kind of touching. Yeah, and I mean, there was one point where... Tessitore asked him where Drew Brees falls among the greatest players of all time, and Booger said, well, he's probably not in the list of greatest players of all time. That includes Jim Brown and O.J. Simpson. But he's probably in the conversation for the group of best quarterbacks of all time. Oh, okay. Well, now, now hold on. In fairness, that, that actually was one little piece that I, that I heard. He, he Booger, said he would drop the last game of the year, can't hold anything back line within two seconds of calling a Super Bowl. <laughs> it's probably reasonable. But but Tess asked him first, is Drew Brees the greatest quarterback of all time? He said, well, for me, Tom Brady is the greatest. But didn't he say Drew Brees was the most accurate of all time? Yeah, and he is statistically. And, and then Tess followed it up with, is he one of the best players of all time? And that's when he went Jim Brown, O.J. Simpson. And seems like there was one other name. He, he said Jerry Rice. I mean, to the, the oh, yeah. other two of those, sure. But the one sandwiched in between those two, uh. OJ Simpson was really, really good. He yeah, just happened to have killed somebody along the way and turned into a complete <laughs> clown show since. <laughs> and my gosh, the pass interference at the end of halftime. I mean, it was a terrible call. I didn't see that. I get why. It, so it would have been the record. Neither did the officials. They just made it up there on the spot. Um, <laughs> it, it would have been the record right before. Hey, hey Dad, glad to see nothing has changed uh, since I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Richard, it's just, it was a terrible call. It was not a push off. It was just a bad call. They blew it, plain and simple. And they bring in the rules expert, and the rules expert's like, "No, you, you got to let that one go. That's not pass interference at all." Tessator's like, "No, no, you you can't call that." And Booger's like, "No, I think it's the right call because these athletes are just too good. You can't touch each other." Yeah. Like, what? What are you okay. talking about? Uh, but. Otherwise, it was a good night. If Tess calls a Super Bowl, though, it would be the only time his tone actually fits, no matter the play. Yeah, you might be right about that.
Uh, we got a bunch coming up with you this afternoon. We'll talk more about the Saints game and uh, Drew Brees and where he sits in the all-time pecking order of quarterbacks. Early signing days tomorrow. We'll take a preview of that and uh, kind of get to what we need to watch for. Uh, because of yesterday and some of the circumstances, which, by the way, I'm going to get to in just a second, we delayed winners and losers. We've got that coming for you this afternoon. Eli Manning got the curtain call that I think everybody, I think everybody wanted to see him get on Sunday. Will he play again this season? Should he play again this season? Dak and the Cowboys absolutely boat raced in their game and got a much-needed win, setting up a winner-take-all game in Philadelphia this weekend. Titans. Oh, Rippy, I know was sad about that. Uh, some basketball stuff, some sports media stuff to do as well. I want to say thank you, though. Uh, not to you guys. For I'm thankful that all of you are in place so that I'm able to occasionally take a little time off, whether it's for work or pleasure or whatever. Uh, my wife and I had a great just three days away, unplug, and that was really cool. But, Borky, you and I talked about lunchtime yesterday, and you mentioned that you know there's a major storm front coming through and we talked kind of about a plan for the radio show, which is what we have always done. Uh, we appreciate you being a part of this radio show on a daily basis, Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. But you got to understand that there are times when sports stuff takes a back seat because the mission of our company, not this radio show, but our company, Telesouth Communications, Telesouth Media, Sports Talk Mississippi, is to serve the people of Mississippi. And so when we get into a situation where there are severe weather issues, where there are potential life-threatening issues because of tornadoes or hurricanes or whatever else, whatever is happening in the sports world, whether it's the day after the Super Bowl, the day before the national championship game, the day of the Egg Bowl, whatever it is, that all gets set to the side. And for that, we do not and will not make apologies. We did this a few years ago and had someone call in and tell us after the fact, thank you for talking about where her, uh, tornadoes were. My son was driving on Interstate 78 right outside of Holly Springs, pulled off on the side of the road, and missed being directly involved in a tornado that was coming through that part of the state of Mississippi because he was listening to your coverage. I'm not saying that we saved a life that day. But because the news was out there, we were able to save or help somebody stay out of harm's way. I hope that was the case yesterday. I've had multiple people, Borky, tell me that you did a phenomenal job yesterday kind of anchoring the hurricane coverage and trying to balance what was happening all across the state of Mississippi as that line of severe storms was making its way through. We had tornado damage in a lot of different parts of the state. So if if you were frustrated with Borky yesterday, forget being frustrated with Borky. You can take that out on me, even though I wasn't here, because as somebody who's been a part of this show for a long time, my directive is this is what we're doing. And my directive actually comes from the people who signed my paycheck. So thanks for being patient yesterday. We hope that you stayed out of harm's way. For those who dealt with damage from the tornadoes and the severe storms that came through Mississippi yesterday, we're thinking about you, we're praying for you, and if there's anything we can do to help you, we want to do just that. Today, though, weather's calm. Let's get back to sports. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. 
Let's um, let's dive in and talk a little bit more about the Saints last night. Saints get a win in really what was kind of a snoozer of a football game. 34-7. to Saints were up 3-zip at the end of the first quarter, exploded for a couple of touchdowns in the second quarter, led it 20 to nothing at the half, 14 uh, third-quarter points, and then Indy finally got on the board at the end of the game, 34-7. to Saints moved to 11-3 on the year. They are still obviously very much in control of the division. Drew Brees. Is this even possible? Did he really only have one incomplete pass in the ball game? Yeah, and yeah. It, it was a swing pass to Latavius Murray, and it, he just missed it. After the game, he said it was going to haunt him forever because, I mean, it was just a simple uh, check down to the running back that was basically standing on the sideline, and he just missed him. That was his one incompletion. And by the way, 29 of 30 for 307 and four touchdowns does not give you a perfect quarterback rating. How is that possible? Because aren't there scenarios where you could have like four or five incompletions in a game with a certain number of yards and touchdowns and it could give you a perfect passer rating? The explanation I saw last night was that the average per completion was not high enough to warrant the perfect quarterback rating. And I, okay. I mean, he had 22 straight completions. And, I mean, they were downfield passes largely at the beginning of that streak, but like in the third and fourth quarter, it kind of felt like Sean Payton kind of knew that he was approaching another record. So they started really keeping it short and throwing some screens and, you know, kind of padding that stat a little bit to have him break that record. But it was downfield stuff. It was Jared Cook. It was Mike Thomas throwing the football down the field, and that still doesn't get you a perfect rating. So it's a dumb metric. I'm not 100% sure that there is a correct answer to this question. Certainly it's subjective. But is Michael Thomas the best wide receiver in football? Hey, Dad. Maybe not with Hey Dad. Borky. Michael Thomas, best wide receiver in football? Um, that's a tough question. And because is he the most talented? I would probably say no. But he's the most sure handed. And what's so impressive about him is defenses know that he's the only receiver weapon. I know Jared Cook's come on lately and been very good for the Saints, the tight end. He's been great the last few weeks. And Kamara, even though he's battling an injury, is still a threat out of the backfield, but Opposing defenses know that the Saints throw the football to Michael Thomas. And the other wide receivers, Ted Ginn, I mean, uh, he's on the back end of his career and is very unreliable. Traquan Smith battled an injury, and then the other guys they roll out there, you've never heard of for a reason. He is just such a reliable route runner and a physical receiver and so sure-handed that even though, I mean, I think like DeAndre Hopkins, for example, probably has more pure skill. But if you had to throw the football to one of the two of them, who would you rely on catching the pass more and getting open and running a, a purer route and being physical after the catch? I think that would be Thomas. All right, let, let's do some numbers here for a second. This year, Michael Thomas's fourth season. 133 catches. That leads the NFL. 1,552 yards. That's tops in the NFL. Eight touchdowns. That's tied for fourth. Maybe not as much of a downfield threat. He averages 11.7 yards per catch, which is 71st in the NFL, but let's take this a little deeper. Michael Thomas heading into Week 16 with his 133 catches 
is sitting with fourth most all-time. He needs 11 catches in the final game of the regular season for the Saints to break Marvin Harrison's single-season receptions record. You better believe Sean Payton's going after that record, too. Yep. Headed to the Saints. Uh, excuse me, uh, headed to Tennessee in the final game of the regular season. They got two more. Wait, two more? Yeah, so he's got... I'm a, sorry, that's right. Next, It's week 16, not game 16. That's right. So, yeah, he's got Tennessee this weekend and then the uh, giving up Panthers in two weeks. Wow. So, so it's is, getting broken. Barring injury, he is going to be the single-season leader in receptions in NFL history. It's pretty good. Pretty doggone good. But last night was not about Michael Thomas. Last night was about Drew Brees. Again, 307 yards, four touchdowns, uh, 29 of 30, which is really, really good. That's a high completion percentage. Highest ever. And and more importantly, he becomes the all-time touchdown passing leader, touchdown passes leader in NFL history. Passes Peyton Manning, but you know who's nipping at his heels, right? Old touchdown Tom, even though he hasn't really thrown all that many this year. But yeah, he's still there. Hasn't thrown all that many this year. Who's going to play football longer? There's something in me, and I said this going into the season, and again, there's no indication that this is the case, but there's something in me that thinks that this is Drew Brees' last season in New Orleans. Because why else would Teddy Bridgewater turn down a guaranteed starting spot in Miami for more money and more guarantees to play one more season in New Orleans with one year left on a contract to be the backup? I mean, maybe that's connecting the dots that aren't really there, but... That sure sounds like somebody that knows that his starting quarterback in a much better situation is going to be leaving soon, and he steps right in in that role, right? I mean, you would have to believe that if you were Teddy Bridgewater. But Drew Brees looks really good! Those few weeks off were good for that shoulder. I agree with you. Because you remember we talked about after, after week one, after the opening night of Monday uh, Monday Night Football, I, I said, look, Drew Brees probably the most accurate passer in the game. But there's not a lot of juice on the fastball. He doesn't have the ability to push the ball down the field the way some other guys in the NFL do. It's not a knock. It's just the reality. And really, if you look at his entire career, he's never had that kind of an arm. He's had a good arm. He's had a plenty accurate arm. Uh, I'm sorry, plenty, plenty enough juice in the arm to throw the deep ball but he's not the guy that just drives the ball down the field. Ball doesn't come out of his hand the way it does out of Matt Stafford's hand or Joe Flacco's hand or whoever else you want to talk about. But he's so good and maybe missing those three or four games leaves enough in the tank that he goes, I mean, I could make probably another $20 million next year. If I stay, we're going to be good. Why not? Give Teddy a few starts in the middle of the season? Maybe uh, maybe take a look at the schedule, and if there's a uh, a really cold game in late November, eh, it looks like a good spot for Teddy Bridgewater. Chicago on December 15th, no good for anybody. Let's let Teddy start that one. 
Yeah, he wears gloves. He'll be fine. <laughs> so the argument. Is he the best quarterback of all time? Is he even the best quarterback in the NFL right now? The best? No. Right now, no. But, I mean, his career's tough to argue because all anybody says from the Brady angle is the Super Bowls. And, of course, that matters. That obviously matters. He was the quarterback on six Super Bowl teams. That is a big weight in his favor. But the most accurate passer of all time, with the most yards and the most touchdowns. And it's not just dink and dunk dink and dunk stuff. I saw some of that on national radio shows today. Well, yeah, Drew Brees has all these yards and touchdowns, but it's really because they throw the ball underneath. He is the most accurate deep ball passer in the history of the sport. So he has all of these records. And if you look at, I sent you guys a link earlier, the NFL records that he owns is, like if we read it here, it would take 10 minutes. Yeah, it's a laundry list. It's a laundry list. But he was also on a handful of really bad teams for a pretty significant stretch after the Super Bowl run. I mean, they were almost irrelevant. He was putting up great yards, but nobody paid attention because the teams were so bad. He should absolutely belong there, but... Well, I would say this, though, about your your, your characterization of Tom Brady as, well, it's just all the Super Bowls. Yeah, I don't think it's just all the Super Bowls. He's thrown for 74,000 yards, which is about 2,000 fewer than Drew Brees. He's got 538 touchdowns, which is currently third all-time, but is moving to second, and if he plays longer than Breeze, he will um, he'll pass him as well. And Brady has about 50 fewer interceptions. So the numbers stack up for Tom Brady in addition to the fact that he's got six rings. Just six of them. Just six. Went to two more. On top of that, he may try and play and see if he can get to 10. Maybe he will play at least 50. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. So, Borky, I think I nailed it on my timing on the, uh, the trip to Colorado in terms of snow. The whole walking in a winter wonderland made me think of that. Uh huh. It snowed. And snowed and snowed and snowed. There was over 20 inches of snow while we were there. So we landed about 1 o'clock mountain time on Thursday afternoon. Probably started snowing about 4. Basically snowed all night. Stopped during the morning. Snowed a little bit at Friday afternoon. Stopped. And then Saturday morning it started snowing again. And we skied on Saturday afternoon in a full on blizzard and 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 that's not that's not oh mississippi guy that's never been in big time snow hyperbole like it was a legit 40 to 50 mile an hour wind gust whiteout blizzard and it's one of the coolest things i've ever done it was so awesome man i'm just just like fresh powder on top of fresh fresh powder yeah, maybe the people that were smarter than we were kind of bailed and like went to the bottom of the mountain. Uh, we finished up lunch and jumped right back on the lift and went all the way to the top of the mountain, and it was like a ghost town. It was like our own private mountain to ski on. Kind of sounds like everybody good. else was dumb, and you guys were the smart ones. Yeah, well, whatever it was. I was so proud of Jane because normally she's like, if she's even a little bit cold, forget about it. 
she's like, let's do it. <laughs> it was awesome. Awesome. Hey, Dad, I'd like to see you on the slopes. Woohoo! No. No interest whatsoever? Nah, nah. nah literally none. And, and Rippy, you said you've done it before, right? I have. Good experience? It was all right. Not you? Would you go again? Yeah, I'd go again. I think it'd be have more fun this time because I had to learn how last time. Did you take a lesson or just go try and do it on your own? Took a lesson. But you said that was a waste of time, didn't you? No, I said I got uh, dominated by some like twelve and thirteen year olds. <laughs> it was like me, one other guy, and a bunch of kids that couldn't drive just raking past me. <laughs> Did you spend like a long time on the bunny hill the the first day with the little kids? Uh, it was like a half day lesson, if I remember correctly. Maybe a little bit more than a half day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Borky's kid would have fit in okay there. Yeah. I mean, our our whole debate was how quickly can we bring the kids back? Because that was something we thought they would love. It's just kind of expensive to go right back and do that. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see when we can uh, can get around to doing that again. Um. Oh, there was one thing, Borky. So on Sunday, that was our third day. So we had like two hours with an instructor on Friday morning, two hours with an instructor on Saturday morning. Sunday we were just all on our own. And we skied in the afternoon those, those other two days. So Sunday we're on our own. We kind of figured out the lay of the land, feeling pretty good about ourselves. Beautiful day. No clouds, no snow. We still got powder. And we're skiing greens, which is, you know, intermediate stuff. And we're about to head down to the place that we ate lunch the previous day. And you, and we can see it, like down at the bottom of the hill. So we're going down this green, and we're like, all right, let's go on down. We'll grab some lunch. There was this left turn that we needed to make that would keep us on a green trail that would kind of wrap around to the side. Instead, we just kept going straight because we could see it right where we needed to be and slip right on to a black diamond run. <laughs> We got, I don't know, a hundred feet into it, which is almost like past the point of no return. It's like, yo, you can't really go back at this point. And Jane's like, I don't think we're where we're supposed to be, which was pretty obvious at that point. And at one point I sat down. Well, let's be honest. I fell a couple of times. And after one of the times that I fell, I just sat there and looked for a second. And I thought to myself, I mean, I know I'm going to get down one way or another. I'm just not sure exactly how that's going to be, so should I just start rolling? <laughs> Which, I didn't do that exactly. I kind of, Jane was smart. It's like the, whatever fundamental stuff we had learned. Okay, like this is how you turn. You turn back and forth, back and forth. All of that knowledge over two days completely went out the window, and it was like panic. And everything that I was supposed to be doing, I wasn't doing. Jane was, you know, pretty concise. I got to one point where I took the skis off and like just kind of slid about 50 or 100 feet down the mountain. And then when I got to like, I could kind of see the finish line, I was like, screw it. And I just went straight. I just went down as fast as I could go. It was almost like I was pretending I was on one of those ski jumps in the Olympics. <laughs> Made it to the end. Nothing And, and was you didn't broken. hurt yourself? No. Like no. not even sore? I, I, uh, not today. I mean, like, the second and third day, my calves and my quads were a little sore. Uh-huh. But not, like, bad, bad. So, um, Ended it was up pretty fun. Ended up out okay. 
Yeah. I would say my pride was hurt a little bit, but it really wasn't. I mean, I got down a black diamond without, like, rolling or bad falling. Well, and nobody knows. It's kind of like golf, right? If you record a par, it doesn't matter how you got it. No, no picture on the scorecard. No picture on the scorecard. Uh, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, fun. If you've never done that before, I would encourage you to try it. That was certainly my experience. I'm not sure Rippy would encourage it as highly as I would. No, I wouldn't go down one of those. Pretty good if you don't know how to ski. I had a buddy that did that the first day, broke his foot, and then spent the rest of the week at the bar. <laughs> first one. So was he was he big winner or big loser? Uh, depends on how you look at it, I guess. First set of basketball's net rankings are out. This is what used to be the NIT. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Used to be the RPI. Uh, RPI was replaced by net last year. Kansas, number one. Ohio State, two. San Diego State out of the Mountain West at number three. Butler, who has wins over a couple of uh, three SEC teams. They've got wins over Missouri, Ole Miss, and Florida, is at number four. And Gonzaga is at five. Highest-ranked SEC team is Auburn at number seven. Auburn is 9-0 on the year. Only undefeated team in the SEC. Other SEC teams, not a bunch of them highly ranked right now. Arkansas at 23. Tennessee at 25. LSU at 27. And you got to scroll a little bit to find Ole Miss and Mississippi State. You've got Ole Miss at 46 at this point which is fifth highest among SEC teams. Kentucky is at 66. And just as an aside, you remember Kentucky had that loss to uh, Evansville, the Purple Aces? That is not just a loss. That is a quadrant four loss. That's going to haunt Kentucky. Now, they're going to have opportunities to overcome it, but it's not getting better anytime soon for Kentucky. Mississippi State is currently at number 88. Uh, and hey, Dad, certainly opportunities in front of them to improve that number, including coming up on Sunday when they will play New Mexico State in a neutral site game in Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, that's also the, uh, the return of Nick Weatherspoon. That is the return of Nick Weatherspoon. I don't think that there's like a, uh, guy with suspended metric that goes into <laughs> place, at least in terms of the net ranking. But it could be something that the tournament selection committee takes into account. And you would you would almost certainly think that they would, you know, especially when you consider Nick Weatherspoon is probably going to average 10, 11 points per game at the minimum, and most of the state's losses right now are by less than double digits. So, yeah, I think that's something that when we get to March, they'll take that into account. Let, let me ask you this, and, and I'm not trying to paint you into a corner here. Let's say we're not talking about Mississippi State. Let's say we're talking about uh, thinking of a random Arizona State. Let's say Arizona State had had a player suspended for the first twelve games of the year, and then they were fighting for a spot in the NCAA tournament, and maybe they were fighting for a spot that is against your team. Would you want the selection committee to take into account that they were without one of their three or four best players for a big part of the season if it wasn't injury related? It sort of almost feels unfair because it's going to be, hey, well, they were cheating. Why are you giving them the benefit of the doubt kind of situation? Uh, so from a, a purely you know, hypothetical and moral high ground standpoint, I get that, what they, that they were saying. 
But I do think that the committee, they have to look at the teams that are coming to the as they are coming to the tournament. Sort of the same way we were talking about a little bit with Zion last year, that if he had been injured and couldn't play, can you give Duke, you know, how high do you really want to see them? I remember, was it Kenyon Martin when he got uh, hurt? And, you know, Cincinnati's body of work had had them as a one seed, but they were a two seed that year because they lost their best player. So I think that the, the committee needs to seed the teams the way the teams are coming to the tournament. And if that's the case with Mississippi State, you know, Nick Weatherspoon is coming to the tournament if, if, if they get there in March. Yeah, that's, uh, that's probably a good perspective on that. I don't know that the SEC is all that pleased with where it is right now as a conference in terms of net ranking. Because it's not great. Uh, I, I still think the SEC ultimately has got plenty of opportunities in front of it. The only really bad net number is Texas A&M at 281. Then you got South Carolina at 144. Everybody else is in the top 100, so that's helpful as a league. But to only have one in the top 10 and three in the top 25, there's some work to do for the SEC as they transition into league play. More coming up with you after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Didn't get a chance yesterday to talk much hoops from over the weekend because of the severe weather. So let's rewind to Saturday. Hey, Dad, Mississippi State made the uh, the trip up to New Jersey again for the Never Forget Tribute Classic and played a pretty decent Kansas State team and got the win. What were your takeaways? A game that I thought Mississippi State was going to lose uh, watching it. You know, they were down by 12 in the first half. Uh, they weren't shooting the ball particularly well. Tyson Carter and Reggie Perry, I mean, I think, Richard, if I told you, prior to the game, that they were going to shoot 5 of 27 combined. He mm-hmm. said not only did they lose, but they lost by a lot. Uh, but instead, you know, they got a, a good game out of Robert Woodard. Uh, defensively, they were very, very good. They held Kansas State to 32% shooting and 27% uh, in the second half. And Abdul Adu, I know you and I have been talking about this for the last year, but his last two games have been really good. He had 13 points and nine rebounds against uh, Kansas State. was a big part of why State was able to get that win. Uh, ben Hallow talked to him today. He said, you know, he thought that was their best game defensively uh, of the season, and, and it was a, it was a good win. You know, it was the kind of win if, it, if they had lost that game, you know, coming off that Louisiana Tech game, back to back losses in non conference play, it, it would have been a bit of a deflator. It would have been the first time I might have had some questions about this team. But as it was to come back and win, and, and to do so in that kind of defensive fashion, makes me feel like you know, once this team gets Nick Weatherspoon back, they are really going to be a, a tough, tough team to deal with defensively. I remember asking Ben Howland a question about rotation a year ago, and he didn't really like the question. He's like, well, I mean, we're, we're, because I think I was asking him about playing only seven or eight guys. And he was like, well, we're actually playing, you know, nine guys. When Aduro gets four minutes and Fizel gets seven minutes, I don't consider that to be playing eight guys. I mean, did eight yeah. guys factor into the box score? Yes. But Mississippi State basically played six. Against Kansas State, Reggie Perry, Abdullah Du, Tyson Carter, DJ Stewart, Robert Woodard in the starting lineup, and then Iverson Molinar coming off the bench, which he had been starting, right? Yeah, they, they, he is. He had been starting. DJ Stewart got to start uh, on uh, for whatever reason on Saturday. So Molinar played 21 minutes, and then you're able to kind of mix in a few minutes and maybe a few little breaks with Fizel and Oduro. Yeah. When Nick Weatherspoon comes back. 
this is going to be basically a seven-man rotation, right? I think, you know, Fizell will be a bigger part of the rotation than he was on Saturday. Okay. I think he's sort of, he's sort of the first guy in that front court off the bench. So, I mean, him getting seven minutes, he had been getting, you know, 15, 16 minutes a game prior to that. Um, Oduro, yeah, he's just sort of like the guy who sort of the end of the half, if somebody's in foul trouble, he's going to come in. Uh, but, gotcha. And, and, and Howland talked about this again today. He said, you know, playing Carter, playing uh, these guys 34, 35 minutes is not what he wants to do. So getting Nick Witherspoon back is, is going to be a key for that, and that will allow – you know, for DJ Stewart to become a guy who comes off the bench, and that'll that'll allow them to be able to relieve some pressure as far as these guys getting minutes. Because as you see in the starting lineup, everybody was over 32 minutes played. Yeah, bunch of guys played a bunch of minutes. To do with 13 points and nine boards, that's the stat line I'm looking for. How tall yeah. is he? Six six eleven. Six six ten, he six eleven. No, he's he's six ten six eleven. Yep. Thick enough. Go, go go get me ten and eight every night. Yeah, it's not too much to ask. If if I'm gonna get ten and eight from Madu and I can get ten points and whatever from from Weatherspoon and I just get what I normally get from Carter Stewart and Woodard. I'm sorry, uh, Carter uh, Perry okay. and Woodard. That's that's a that's a very tough lineup. That's a very yeah. good basketball team. So Mississippi State moves to seven and two. They've got a game against Radford and then we'll play New Mexico State on Sunday afternoon in Jackson. Rippy Ole Miss against Middle Tennessee on Saturday afternoon. Career-high 34 points for Brian Tyree. Uh, played pretty doggone well. Ole Miss now 7-3 and three on the year, and they're getting a little practice time kind of in between games right now. Is this team trending in the right direction? I think the Christmas practice time will help a lot as they kind of Continue to get adjusted, particularly some of the new pieces in the front court. But the simple part of the, I guess, brokenness of the team early on, you call it brokenness. All four of those teams they played when they went one and three are going to be in the NCAA tournament more than likely. That's true. Was the backcourt not playing well and not scoring? And you got, you know, nine assists, 10 points from Schuler, and then Brian Tyree looked like an all SEC guard. But he's not going to go 8-11 from three most nights. So how does that translate when he's not making jump shots? will be a better indication. But he played really well. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody that would argue with a stat line from Tyree and Schuler combining for 44 points, 10 boards, and 13 assists. Yeah, but I mean, a little bit of that on the scoring is like saying me and Tom Brady each have six Super Bowls in between us. Tyree went nuts. I understand but... that, but it wouldn't be crazy to think you back seven out of Tyree where he's at 27? No, I, I get what you're saying. Where it was 27 kind of, and 17 or, you know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I was mostly just kind of poking fun at you a little bit. but Thanks. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, welcome back. But, I, yeah, I think so. I do think that Schuler's going to have to carry a little bit of a scoring load, more of a scoring load down the stretch, but that'll play nine assists for sure. Talked to Kermit Davis earlier today. He was like, overwhelmed by what the crowd was on Saturday. 7,500. He said, I didn't think there was really going to be anybody there. Students gone, first semester over, and was genuinely surprised with just how good it was. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. We've got more coming up on this Tuesday afternoon. Hour number two is next. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Got the whole crew back together today. Thanks for being with us. 
So it'll be a part of the conversation. You can uh, shoot us a message on the C Spire text line. Number is 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. You can uh, text us. Best way for you to interact with us during the show each and every day. C Spire text line. C Spire customer inspired. We didn't get to it yesterday, so let's do it today. How about some winners and losers? All I, all I, all I, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Winner never All right, from the weekend, what did you like? What did you dislike? You can text us your winners and losers on the ceasefire text line. Joe Burrow in a landslide wins the Heisman Trophy on Saturday night. There was absolutely no drama. But it was an emotional moment for Joe Burrow, a guy who grew up in Athens, Ohio. And he mentioned as part of his acceptance speech that Athens, Ohio, Southeast Ohio in particular, is an area where there's been a lot of, um, well, poverty is what he talked about, you know, economic downturn, however you want to describe it. But he talked about poverty and he talked about going to school with kids that didn't have enough to eat and that him winning the award was a way to show some of those kids growing up in those circumstances that they can do what he did as well, that they can you know, continue to work hard and continue to have success at a really high level. doesn't necessarily mean they can win a Heisman Trophy. So it was really cool that he mentioned that. But the winner part of this is the outpouring of support that has come from all over the country and specifically the Southeast, and even more specifically than that, the state of Louisiana, where food is such a massive part of the culture. I I even read in a, a story that I was reading about where somebody says, did you eat? Is Cajun, is the Cajun way of saying, how are you? Or hope you're doing well. It's just like, what'd you eat? And at this point, over a quarter of a million dollars in counting has been raised for the Athens, Ohio, Athens County, Ohio food bank. And that money is continuing to pour in. And it's kind of caused a little bit of a ripple effect to people being more aware and making donations to food banks in their local areas as well. I thought that was a really cool response uh, to a night that otherwise had absolutely no drama. So Joe Burrow, his speech, and the uh, the after effect on the winners list for me. What about you, Borky? So uh, this is really funny to me. I hope it is to you as well. A few days ago, the NBA played a few games in Mexico City, and uh, Luka Doncic is a guy that, if you're not familiar with him, turn into a Dallas Mavericks game after he comes back from injury another week or two. Um, he is breaking records for NBA players at his age. He is unbelievable. Like, better statistically than LeBron and Kobe and everybody at this point in his career. Um, He is also apparently bilingual because they had him and Blake Griffin give speeches in the arena before the game. 
Uh, I'm going to play for you, Lucas, which is just impressive that he can speak so fluent Spanish. And also Blake Griffin for uh, for trying. Hola, México. ¿Cómo estáis? Es un placer para nosotros estar aquí. Muchas gracias por el recibimiento y espero que disfruten del juego. Y una cosa más. Viva México, güey. <laughs> well, <laughs> he, he got the one word right. Yeah, <laughs> and that was Blake's speech. But they appreciated it, didn't they? I mean, they appreciated the effort. It sounded like. Yeah, they liked it just fine. You can see a big smile on his face. So looking at Luca, like, "What are you doing to me, man?" That's uh, that's pretty good. Uh, hey, Dad, give me a winner. Matt Porter. I talked about him on uh, Friday's show, but we'll bring him back up. Bet $50 back during the uh, the preseason on his boy Joe Burrow to win the Heisman Trophy. He collected a cool $10,000 on Saturday when that bet finally hit, hitting it 200 to 1. But then to sort of piggyback off of what you were talking about, Richard, uh, he is donating $3,200 of his winnings to Colton Prather, who is a, uh Alabama young man who suffers from spina bifida, who's a huge LSU fan. His comment was, uh, anybody who lives in Alabama and, and, and cheers for LSU needs all the support we can give him. Love it. A lot of cool stuff happening this time of year. Yeah. Ten grand. It's a nice return on a $50 bet. It sure is. The, the, yeah, I, wonder if, I wonder if he ever had that moment where he goes, I really wish I'd laid 500 down on this. <laughs> Well, you know, he was the guy that they kept talking about throughout the season that the, the casino kept trying to buy him out. You yeah, know, from three let it ride. Grand, five grand. He let it ride the whole way, and look how that turned out. Rippy, give me a winner from the weekend. Tiger Woods. Ooh. Captained his way to a President's Cup win and was probably the best player on the team throughout the week. 3 0 0. Did this year's President's Cup fly under the radar more so than in years gone by? People say that, but I don't really see how. It was golf in prime time. You got golf at anywhere from 4 to 7 in the afternoon to midnight to 2 in the morning. Yeah. But I just wonder if everybody's in football mode right now. Like, are you programmed to go to the golf channel this time of year? I mean, I think they replayed it on Sunday afternoon on NBC. Probably not, but unless you're in football mode and enjoy the triple option, there wasn't a whole lot else on. You didn't just speak disparagingly of Army-Navy, did you? No, but it's not normal football. Yeah. I think you did. I think you just spoke disparagingly of America's game. I get the pageantry and all that. The game itself, not that entertaining. You don't like the triple option? I, I think it's fine. Like It's cool for like a couple of series, but then it's like, oh, fullback got not, it again. Sweet. Not surprising Rippy would disparage our troops. I like the Army-Navy game. I said is. the one in the snow a couple years ago is cool. I'm just saying. Yeah, like, how'd Bernie do in the, the most recent debate, Riffy? Come you on You said now. football move. I mean, you said football mode, and it's not like there was a bunch of football to consume on Saturday and Saturday night. There's quite literally one game, and it's the most unconventional game of the entire year. That Navy quarterback, though, I, I kept thinking watching him, imagine John Rice Plumley in that offense. When you finished watching golf, did you flip over to the ping pong champ channel to watch the Russian championships? I don't even know what that means. Comrade, I just figure if you're not cheering for the U.S., you must be cheering for the Soviets. I didn't cheer for anyone in Army Navy. I just watched the game like a normal person. I thought, man, two triple option teams. 
Uh, Billy says, wait, there's a golf channel? I hope you, I hope you're, you're not serious, right, Billy? There's no way. That can't be a serious tweet. It might be. Some people don't know. Oh, yes, there's a golf channel. That's fantastic. Uh, any losers from the weekend, Borky, that pop out for you? Um, well, one quick winner, Zion Williamson was practicing today, so even though his team stinks out loud, at least there's something to like keep watching my NBA season for. Uh, losers. Uh, how about Oakland? I mean, the Raiders blowing a lead in the final game in what is just a complete dump of a stadium, but getting booed off the field in trash and nachos and beer and everything <laughs> thrown at them. Poor Derek Carr is trying to like shake fans' hands, like saying thank you for coming out. He's getting stuff thrown at him and profanities yelled at him, and they get booed off their own field the last time they'll ever play in that city. Isn't that kind of the perfect ending to a Raiders season and tenure in a venue? Yeah, that one image of uh, the guy that's got baseball dirt from head to toe because he jumped the barrier and tried to rush the field and got tackled into baseball dirt, getting (laughs) escorted off the field was the perfect image of Oakland Raider football. Hey, Dad, you got a loser? You know, this was a good weekend. I don't know that I – the only one that really stands out to me that's something that's shocking that happened, North Carolina basketball. Losing, you know, Wofford's been a pretty good mid-major the past few years, and they were really good a season ago. But you know, college basketball, maybe it's just college basketball powers. It seems like everybody's taking a loss this year. Kentucky's got one. You know, Duke has got one. Um, they just a lot of parity in college basketball. Maybe that makes us winners because it means there'll be good games all year long. But when it goes right now. Yeah. I was talking with someone earlier today. I said, you know, what is everybody but Auburn in the league having a loss? I say talking with someone. It was Kermit Davis. We'll have that interview for you tomorrow afternoon. Um, I said, is it is it youth? Is it parody? Is it balance? He said, it's balance. He said, but it's more than anything, it's college basketball right now. I, I feel like more, it, it, and it's so different from what we've become attuned to in college football, right? Where there are four or five teams that can win. Everybody else can lose at any point. You got four or five that you think can't lose. Anybody on any night right now can lose in college basketball. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. More coming up. Hope there's not a choir outside Borky's house. They'll leave disappointed. Oh, it's okay. Everybody on next door is super mad that there's not enough Christmas lights in the neighborhood. So I think our participation rate's pretty low. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank and online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Check out their website, find a branch location, or grab the phone number to uh, give a call to the office nearest you. That, again, is Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Um, We want to get to your winners and losers in just a moment, but was looking at this, and I got a couple of losers out of this. So the Heisman vote breakdown. Joe Burrow landslide victory. Largest victory, uh, margin of victory 
in the history of the vote, largest percentage of first-place votes ever, et cetera, et cetera. Did everything you would expect to do. 841 ballots had him named as the first-place candidate. 41 had second place. He got three third-place votes. Total of 2,608 points. Next closest was Jalen Hurts, which actually surprises me a little bit. 762. Maybe that's a nostalgic pick there. Kind of like the the good guy, he's done it the right way vote. Because you look at Justin Fields, and to me, Justin Fields' numbers just stack up better than Jalen Hurts. But nevertheless, Chase Young actually got the second most first-place votes with 20 of them. Jalen Hurts got 12. Justin Fields got six. Jonathan Taylor got six. But there was a guy that gave Tua Tonga-Vailoa a first-place vote. Or maybe it was a gal. Why? You, you believe that Tua Tonga-Vailoa was the, best, was the most outstanding player in college football this year? Three people voted Trevor Lawrence number one on their Heisman Trophy ballot. Why? You really believe that Trevor Lawrence was the most outstanding player in college football this year? You got to have a nice zag, man. That's what the takesmanship is all about. Look, if you want to argue with me that J.K. Dobbins was the best player in college football, I probably don't have a whole lot of time for you there. Really, really good. You want to argue Jonathan Taylor? I'll listen to you. You want to argue Chase Young? I'll listen to you. Justin Fields, I'll listen to you. May not agree with you. Why are you going to argue Chase Young? That he's the most outstanding player in college football? Yeah, but given the confines of the award. Right, but what the point is that you can conceivably argue that he was more dominant. I mean, he's the best defensive lineman in the country. He required, in the Big Ten Championship game, at least a double on every single play. I mean, he alters the way you have to call your offense by just merely existing on the field. I I guess ultimately my thought is you could construct a a rational and well-reasoned argument for why you voted Chase Young number one on your Heisman ballot. There's no argument that you can make for Trevor Lawrence or Tua Tonga-Vailoa or really even J.K. Dobbins as the most outstanding player in college football this year. One of the best? Absolutely. Dominant? Yes. Huge for their team? Uh, no question. Most outstanding in the entire country? Forget about it. So the folks that voted... And, and how about the 4.5% of people that didn't even include Joe Burrow on your ballot? Come on. You should have Those it taken away from you. These are the same well, people be who, an incomplete who don't vote. Type of thing. These are the same kind of people who don't vote like a Greg Maddox or a Tony Gwynn in on the first ballot of the Baseball Hall of Fame because they're just idiots. There's no other word to describe it. Fair enough. Um, any other losers that you guys want to throw out before we jump to the ceasefire text line? Reed's caddy had a tough weekend. Who? Tried to fight a guy in Australia. Well, all he did was shove him and spill his beer. Could have been worse. The capital I suppose. offense in Australia. And in Haydad's house as well. I guess Reed could be thrown in there, too, because this whole, like, I'm the villain shtick only works if you're actually good, and he provided no value until Sunday. Uh, Quinn gives us a winner. He says, Coach O, who, by the way, today was named AP National Coach of the Year. 
well-deserved. And he says, and LSU recruiting, he followed it up with, roll what? Well played. Um, winner, liberal Rippy. Loser, <laughs> Brady sympathizer saying the Breeze record doesn't matter because Brady will pass it. Not with yeah, the you way can his celebrate the record playing. for now. I'm sorry, what? Not with the way his offense is playing, he's not going to pass it. They should split the record in half. Stan and Ripley goes with losers. He says, whoever the people were that got on Borky and gang for not talking sports during tornado warnings yesterday and got on him for not pronouncing a city or town correctly. Borky butchered Bogub. I'm not even going to say the second part because I'm not even 100% sure. Chitta? Yeah. yeah, I said it the the bad way. You went with man. Cheeto? I think he said Bog Cheeto. Or I something mean, I'm I'm sitting here. I'm, <laughs> I mean, there's literally one on the ground, and like we're talking, we're given an exact path of an existing tornado, and I say the town wrong, and six texts come in. You idiot! It's like it's, it's a not town. Bog Cheeto. Yeah. Porky. I know, but it's like, guys, you know what I'm talking about. The people in the area know what I'm talking about. Get over yourself and, like, and, me and tomorrow. find some cover, for goodness sake. Yeah, like, get in a safe place. Also, I hate you, but be safe and be careful and, like, make fun of me tomorrow. But now's not the time. Yeah, if you're well actually somebody from a bunker, that's a new level of... That's, that's, <laughs> my guess is it was not the people that were in Bogue Cheeto that were yeah. well actually Borky at the time. <laughs> Oh, you think it was Bob and Bogachita, hey dad, that sent that? Well, actually, that was cited as evidence against Borky. Well, this yeah, one some... text basically called him a bad Mississippian and then said, didn't you guys do some reporting on Joe Moorhead and a man from Bogachita or something? It's like, not exactly how that works, but. Yeah, and I got, I got the, well, you're from South Carolina, so you're an idiot card. It's like, man, I didn't know towns in my own county that were like up the street from me. Like, my bad. My guess is if I was trying to do South, uh, weather updates in South Carolina, I would mispronounce some towns. Wouldn't be intentional, but uh, nevertheless. Um, Stan and Ripley, loser, liberal freaking Rippy. <laughs> there he is. I don't even know how this bit started. Tim and Tupelo goes with bong Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> Brian says, winner, super talk, sports and weather guys. Uh, Derek and Greenwood, somebody called JT today and said they kept him from driving into a tornado. They're four winners. Jeff and Grenada says Bob and Bogachita was disappointed. We got another potential winner here, and that's Brian okay. Scott Rippey. I, I, I've just seen on Twitter there is an Ole Miss Twitter tournament, and there's a faculty slash reporters bracket. Brian Scott Rippey is the four seed in that bracket. Really? Yeah, he has matched up. With the good guys, I say good guys. I'm not, I'm not huge fans of Red Cup Rebellion. There you go. Sounds important. Did I even make I'm gonna a bracket? Vote, I'm going to vote for you. Could you not? No, I'm going to. I'm going to. Number one in the fan brackets. Fan, the fan bracket portion of this is uh, funny. Number one seat there. Where is this? Uh, Rebel Nut eighteen. That's oh, not like the Houston kind. Okay. Has, has a has a it's it's a big tournament. All right. I don't know who that is, but there you go. Um. What else? What about other losers from the weekend? 
I said, nothing really stood out this weekend as far as like. Oh, uh, the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, uh, there was one. Oh, yes, my goodness. I mean, I know good the call. Saints lost to the Falcons earlier when they shouldn't have, and that's also an embarrassment, but you just got the one seed. You went from the five to the one by beating the Saints in the Superdome, and you ruin it by losing to the hapless Falcons the very next week. That is such an incredible letdown. I can't believe that that happened. Don't forget that uh, terrible bad beat betters took on that game, too. Ooh. Hey, Borky, can you uh, read Jeff in Grenada's text on the ceasefire text line? Kosciuszko? There you go. You know what the mascot is? I do. I have no idea. I guess I got a loser. The whole city of Brown Cheeto, because Borky just slandered him for an entire two hours. Is there? <laughs> the Whippets, the Kosciuszko Whippets. Oh, I like it. Thanks for uh, participating in winners and losers. Um. We'll take a quick timeout. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. All right, winners and losers is over, but a couple of text messages I've got to read. I miss this. Loser, guy that did the lines on the field for the North Dakota State game? What did I miss there? About to find out. Okay. Uh, Speaking of brown Cheetos, isn't that what Haydad ate for a week while on vacation in his beanbag chair? Hey, Dad, you still like, with us? <laughs> it's, what? What is that? So, what is that a euphemism for? Like I was eating. No, it's just. You know, a, it's just. It's a takeoff on Vogue Cheeto, Brown no, I get Cheeto, that. but like, what is Cheetos. a Brown Cheeto? What is a Brown Cheeto? It's not he, a real that, thing. There, there's no, well, Borky did some digging in the Urban Dictionary, and apparently, it, oh, it God, is a brown thing. Well, yeah, there there used to be a brand of Cheetos that had were brown in color, and also because people are insane, will take Cheetos and cover them in melted caramel during the holidays. Gross. I'd try it. They had plenty of food the other night. Get a little the, sweet uh, and salty, all in one. They had plenty of food the other night at the uh, Christmas party, but no, no brown. Yeah, Cheetos. you sent me a picture of your sweater. You got the. Yeah. Um, the, the hiked leg in the end zone sweater. That's right, I did. The urination simulation, yeah. Was this your uh was this your Christmas party? Yeah. I should have checked the mail. I suspect I'll find the invitation when I get there. It's it's probably there waiting on you. Oh Rippy, don't worry. People around here don't go to very special events that you host. It, it's it's probably in the same lost in the mail pile as my invitation to Michael Borky's wedding. Exactly. I told him I needed to save five bucks, man. Oh, by the way, this field, that's terrible. I mean, just like six, eight inches of bump in the lines across the field for a playoff game. Bump lines? What are we talking about? At the Fargo Uh, Dome. Oh, wow. (laughs) Easy. Uh, There was one more um, submission for loser. This was from Michael in Columbus. He says, Anthony McFarland. Holy moly. He's at least the secretariat of goofy, nauseating babble. What a mysterious thing. Must be the Russians. <laughs> <laughs> the secretary. Hold on, let me read that again. I need I need to know what Anthony McFarland holy moly nauseating babble. He's at least the secretariat of goofy, nauseating babble. <laughs> Jeez. 
Kelso and Ocean Springs said winner JMU, James Madison into the semis, Weber State this weekend, and likely North Dakota State after that for the title. Go Dukes. Go Dukes. Saw a tweet last night. It was just a picture of Booger McFarlane's face, and it had in quotes, when Drew Brees makes a pass, he throws the ball. His telestrating skills, right? See, I of think course. that was kind of a troll. I mean, he knows everybody hates him anyway, so why not throw throw a little of that in there? I said it on the on Twitter, but I'll say it here. You know, this is the same network that gave us you cannot lose games and win in the NFL. It's still factually accurate. Hey, be sure to join JT live at Carter Jewelers on Friday and then again on Monday from 10 a.m. until 1 p.m. Come in for some great Christmas deals on that special piece of jewelry for her or him. That's the JT Show this Friday and next Monday at Carter Jewelers on High Street in downtown Jackson. All right, we do this from time to time. This is an easy one. Easy, easy, easy one. A chance for you to win tickets to the max. When it comes to arts and entertainment, Mississippi is a land of legends, and now all those legends are showcased in one place, Mississippi's arts and entertainment experience, better known as the max, in Meridian. It's also the best place to find Mississippi-made products like artwork and books. Go to msarts.org to learn more about the max. Now a chance for you to win a pair of tickets to the max in Meridian. Be the first person to text... Into the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. It's so easy, I like I'm embarrassed to ask it. But I didn't write the question, so I am happy to give you an easy chance to win questions through the max. Comedian Jerry Clower played football at which Mississippi University? You text that to the C Spire text line and uh, let Borky know that you want tickets. We will get them to you for the max. So very we're cool. Block there. anybody who misses this one. No, we're not. We're not going to block anybody. You're blocked. Blocked. No, I just got a notification for my weekly trip to the text line. Missed call. How does that happen? People call the number on accident sometimes, and we have a winner. So uh, I hate to tell you guys, you can go ahead and uh, stop sending those messages. Glad you're listening, though. But we Jerry Clower. Pride of Mississippi State University. And Yazoo City. Um, is Eli Manning, is he done? Giants win. And he played pretty well, had a couple of touchdown passes, and got a really cool standing ovation as he left the field with about five minutes to play. It was by design. They wanted to give Eli the opportunity to walk off the field and get the the nice ovation from the Giants fans that were still at the game at that point. Not a huge crowd at the stadium at that point of the game, but a really impressive ovation for Eli Manning as he came off for what appears to be his final home game as a New York Giant. So I guess a couple of questions. Is he going to play in the last two games of the regular season? And will we see Eli Manning again after this season as an NFL quarterback? Sounds like Daniel Jones is going to be healthy enough to play the last two weeks. Um, certainly feels like they're heading in that direction. And hey, I could very well be reading into this, but when you have local media all week long leading up to the game, paying their tributes to Eli with you know their creative headlines and stuff and just thanking him for what he's done, 
and then they play the way they do and give him that hero's exit with just over a minute left in the game, and then everybody clears the field except for him so he can get the final runoff off of the field, and his wife and his kids are meeting him in the tunnel, and they get that camera angle with Manning walking up the tunnel, and since it's white letters, all you can see is Manning in 10, and it's like, you know, fade to black, end of story. And then after the game, you find out that he gave a very win-one-for-the-Gipper type pregame speech that actually, believe it or not, included an expletive in there, which is not like him. Um, At least not when a microphone's around. Right. Definitely not, or it definitely felt like he's not going to play again, at least in New York, because everybody coaches, his teammates on the sideline, personnel people, his family was in the box. A couple of them were, were shedding tears as he exited the field for the last time. All of it feels like it's done. And even though he still could play and probably help somebody, I don't think there's a market for him this offseason. Career win-loss record of 117 and 117. Came off the bench in two games as a rookie in 2004. Everything since then has been as a starter. 234 starts, 236 career games. A 60% completion percentage for his career. 57,023 yards, 366 touchdown passes, 244 interceptions. First ballot Hall of Famer? Maybe not. But a Hall of Famer nonetheless, right? Yes. A Hall of Famer, yeah. If you were voting, would you vote for him the first time his name popped up on the ballot? Yeah. Is there a, like, I don't know how the football ballot works. Is there like a, it was going to depend on who else is on the ballot if I can only vote for so many guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if he retires at the end of the year, and let's just say for some odd reason, Brady and Breeze do too, it's going to be tough for him to be a first ballot guy. Yeah, I understand what you're saying there. I just would have a hard time not voting the very first time I could for a guy with 366 touchdowns, 57,000 passing yards, and two Super Bowl MVPs. I mean, I know the playoff record and all of that good stuff. Twelve wins or twelve starts in the playoffs, eight and four. So he had two Super Bowl runs where they were a wild card team, went four and zero in both of those, zero and four in his other seasons as a postseason quarterback. So a four and zero postseason in two thousand seven, a four and zero postseason in two thousand eleven. Super Bowl MVP in both of those wins for the Giants, including a win over the previously undefeated New England Patriots. Obviously, I'm a little biased there. I mean, this will, this will. I think two Super Bowls get you in because the Pro Football Hall of Fame isn't like on a scale from baseball to basketball. It's probably in the middle as far as hard to get into. Baseball being the hardest, of course. Yeah. So I think he probably gets in. I don't know if it's first ballot. I wouldn't think so. Pretty cool way to finish out, though, his career as a New York Giant. 36-20, to 20, a win over the Dolphins. 20 of 28, 283 yards, a couple of touchdown passes. He was picked off three times in the game. Uh, but a good win.
and a, a good day all the way around. Uh, still no Evan Ingram, though, for the Giants, right? He was just placed on IR, so he's done for the year. So he's done for the year. Yeah, you certainly hope for his sake he can com- get completely healthy and then kind of get back to the level that he has shown he's capable of in the National Football League. We will wrap up the 4 o'clock hour with you next. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. You've probably seen this story by now. If you were watching Sunday Night Football, which was uh, Bill Steelers at halftime, they did a segment in the studio where they brought the Newtown, Connecticut high school football team in to celebrate and recognize them for winning their first state championship since 1992. It was the Class LL state championship game in Connecticut. Tied at seven with three seconds left. They ran a post-corner route, hit a guy in the end zone. Newtown won 13-6. to And the video from the end of the game went viral. Mike Tirico was driving back to New York from Philadelphia after the Army-Navy game. And along with producer Rob Hyland, they watched the viral video of the first state title in 26 years. The next morning, Tarico texted Highland, suggesting that they invite the coach and maybe some key players to appear on football night in America. That's the pregame show and the halftime show that goes along with Sunday night football. Highland agreed, reached out to the school, and they invited the entire team and anyone else that they wanted to bring to the event. Around 85 players, coaches, cheerleaders, school officials, and one mascot jumped on a couple of buses at 4.30 Eastern time on Sunday afternoon for the hour drive to NBC Studios in Stamford, Connecticut. They got NBC Sports Apparel, met Mike Tirico, Tony Dungy, Rondi Harrison, and others, and were given a tour of the production facility, ate 35 pizzas and six dozen cookies. And then at 8.15, they moved them into Studio 3, which is where the Football Night in America set is. And then at halftime... Mike Tirico and Tony Dungy and Rodney Harrison were kind of in the middle of that group of entire players. It was significant because several of the players on Newtown High School's state championship football team were elementary students seven years ago when you had the Sandy Hook shooting. And their state championship win on the final play of the game came seven years to the day, the anniversary of that shooting. And just a really, really cool scene. Did you guys see this the other night? Saw it on Twitter, like you were mentioning. Saw the uh, the video. I thought that was yeah, it was really cool. And then I saw that they they got to be on the uh, on the show. I just thought that was a really neat moment, and one that's been played over and over and over again, and a dramatic win, and uh, certainly a town that has continued to have to live with that while much of the rest of the world has moved on. I mean. Uh, you know, it's almost, this is going to sound bad. I don't mean for it to be that way, but Sandy Hook is a name that everybody goes, oh, oh yeah, I remember that. Or it's the answer to a trivia question, obviously a, a, a sad trivia question. But for them to be able to kind of be back in the spotlight uh, seven years to the day after that just awful tragedy, really, really cool. And I think you're reminded that uh, Mike Tirico is one of the, Pretty good guys in uh, in the sports media world. Thought that was a neat story and a uh, neat way to celebrate. All right, so we talked about this at the um, at the beginning of the show. John Orand from Sports Business News, who's a really good sports media reporter, um, does end of year predictions for the following 
year. And one of the predictions he has made is that when the NFL does its new media rights deal, CBS and Fox are going to kind of keep the packages that they've got, although it's not going to be split as AFC, NFC. It's just going to be split as Tier 1, Tier 2. But that ESPN, in addition to Monday Night Football, is going to pick up the Thursday Night Football package. And as part of that, we'll put Thursday Night Football on ABC on Thursday nights. They'll still have Monday Night Football on ESPN. And because of the money, uh, amount of money that they'll pay, and this is just a prediction, would put ABC back into the rotation for carrying a Super Bowl, which I guess would be every four years. So you would have NBC, the Al Michaels crew, CBS, the Jim Nance crew, Fox, the Joe Buck crew, and then an ESPN crew as well. So my question is, if ESPN rolls back into the rotation for a Super Bowl, will they go a different route and have a different announce crew on Thursday nights that would then be elevated to the number one crew and the Super Bowl crew? Or is there a scenario where you could get Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarland Please broadcasting no. a Super Bowl? Please no. There, there was one interesting twist in all that, and they said that, uh, that, again, this was a prediction column, not a this is what's happening column, but kind of an informed prediction column, was that uh, ESPN was going to go get Nate Burlesworth from NFL Network and Good Morning Football and add him to the booth with Tess and Booger, and that that would be a pretty dramatic upgrade on that crew. Hey, Burlesworth's pretty good. I mean, a dog would be better, but yeah. <laughs> but they you, are terrible. Yeah. You they like that brutal. Good Morning Football show, though, don't you, Borg? You know, that's I, where... He Go and ahead. Peter Schrager, and I think those guys are great, and I really like Nate Burleson a lot. He articulates what's going on very well. Did I say Burlesworth? I meant Burleson. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Thank put, you. Put Schrager on the sidelines and Burleson up in the booth, and, I mean, that's a team right there. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Two hours in the books, 5 o'clock hour coming up. That means it's time for the college football fix. We'll do that next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Game to say. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you're a farmer in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs of any kind, whether it's buying new equipment, getting a production loan, refinancing an existing loan, or maybe buying a new piece of property, let Mississippi Land Bank help you with all of your needs. Again, they are in North Mississippi. Find a branch location or a phone number to give them a call on their website at mslandbank.com. Just after 5 o'clock Tuesday afternoon, that means it is time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Begin your search for a new Ford car, truck, van, or SUV right there online. But don't stop there. Holiday savings event going on right now. Great savings on a few remaining 2019 year-end models, up to 20% off MSRP on trucks and SUVs at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. 
All right, National Signing Day, beginning of the early signing period, I suppose I should say, is tomorrow. It has snuck up on us just a little bit. Hey, Dad, from a Mississippi State point of view, that's right, hey, Dad had to leave early today. I forgot about that. Uh, We'll spend, obviously, a lot of time tomorrow in the first hour of the show talking about Mississippi State, the commitments that they get. Borky, you and I were talking about this earlier today. It doesn't appear, at least based on what we know so far, like there are going to be a lot of surprises for Mississippi State tomorrow. doesn't feel like it's going to be a firework day. I mean, they've already got 21 commits in the class. Uh, there's only so many players you can sign. Uh, they currently sit in the top 25. Uh, that is so fluid because, I mean, you've still got two signing days ahead of you. And, for example, uh, the two teams immediately behind them have four fewer signees than them. By the way, Kentucky, directly behind them, has a five-star committed this year. So, uh, Bob Stoops... Excuse me, Mark Stoops doing a good job there. But, uh, yeah, not a whole lot of fireworks expected tomorrow, at least as far as I understand it. Uh, It's more just getting the signatures and shoring up the class that you've got and uh, maybe take a couple of Hail Marys in February. But it's a a very full uh, recruiting class right now with very little spots remaining. If you are... Ole Miss did lose a commitment this afternoon. Did they? Who was that? Dericky Wright, former Alabama commit, former Ole Miss commit, now signing with Vanderbilt tomorrow. Really? Sounds like that's probably a nice pickup for Vanderbilt, right? Yeah, I would think so. But if they pick up a commitment and no one is around to hear it, is it actually a commitment? Yeah, I don't know. Um, Ole Miss currently at number 45 in the 24-7 sports composite rankings with 16 commitments. Is there going to be anything interesting for Ole Miss tomorrow or over the next couple of days in the early signing period? There's a chance, right? I mean, Rippy and I talked about it this morning. There's a handful of guys that uh, one flip target that would be a huge pickup considering the position he plays. That'd be Chris Morris, offensive tackle, West Memphis. Curling A&M guy, a guy that Lane Kiffin, if you listen to, uh, we had Zach Berry on the podcast today, talked about how Kiffin has really kind of made a move on this guy in the last like week and a half, two weeks. Didn't even have Ole Miss in his uh, vaunted top 12 when that was released last January. <laughs> top 12. So, a lot of options. Just well, saying, if you don't make the top 12 and then you're kind of a finalist, you know, you stole the election. I don't know. Anyway, um, but yeah, definitely a couple of uh, couple of guys. I think that could probably make tomorrow interesting, but I think it's mostly about salvaging most of what you have, getting a couple guys to wait till February and closing then. Because the, if there's any staff school that's going to benefit from the kind of collective exhale you have in kind of mid-recruiting season, halftime, whatever you want to call it, during early in late December, early January, it's probably this one. If you are expecting some sort of a sea change in the college football landscape, Based on recruiting this year, eh, forget about it. Right now, and this is obviously going into the early signing period, number one class in the country, Clemson Tigers. 22 commitments, six five-stars, ten four-stars. Number two, Alabama. 25 commitments, three and 18, and five and four-stars, respectively. Number three, LSU, with 23 commits. Number four, Ohio State. Number five, Texas A&M. Number six, Georgia. Maybe a little surprising to see a Dan Mullen coach team in the Florida Gators at number seven. No five stars, but 16 four star commitments in the class so far. Oklahoma, Auburn, and Texas 
round out the top ten. The interesting thing about Texas is at one point they were sitting at number three in the uh, the composite rankings there, all the way down to number ten. So in terms of SEC rankings going into the early signing period, and again, this is the uh, the composite rankings for 24-7 sports, and that's where they kind of pull all of the rankings together uh, to come up with their numbers. Alabama 1, LSU 2, A&M 3, Georgia 4, Florida 5, then Auburn and South Carolina, Tennessee at 8, Mississippi State at 9, Kentucky now directly in front of Ole Miss at number 10, uh, and this does not even show the commitment they picked up, the five-star commitment that Borky uh, mentioned a second ago. Ole Miss at 11, Vanderbilt at 12, Missouri at 13, and Arkansas at 14 with six commits right now. Yeah, a massive uphill climb. I mean, made a good hire at defensive coordinator, and you don't generally hire coordinators for recruiting and uh, unless you're Hugh Freeze, apparently. Uh, but Barry Odom's not going to be that much of an assistance or a boost there from the recruiting level. Good coach, but uh, could never really bring in quality classes and players to Missouri, which is part of the reason why he lost his job there. Uh, so and, uh, an uphill climb is an understatement there. Did I see that Kendall Bryles was being brought in as the offensive coordinator at Arkansas? Hadn't seen the official word, but his name is is definitely out there for that. Also, the guy that was at Notre Dame. Chip may, Long. Yeah, and maybe it's already gone official. I just I saw a report this morning that still had a hot board, so that would lead to believe it's not official yet. An O line coach with a former head coach and a strong as a defensive coordinator, another strong offensive coordinator. Hmm. Saying you've seen that formula before. I'm just not saying anything. Just pointing it out. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, you know, you you look at the bottom of the. You know, you, you look at the bottom of the recruiting rankings and you think about teams, where they are right now, and what they've got to try and do. So Arkansas is trying to climb its way out of the cellar in the SEC, and they're sitting there with just six commits at this point. And by most standards, including by some Arkansas fans, an underwhelming hire in Sam Pittman. I think Missouri is going to, in the long run, like Eli, Drink- Eli Drinkowitz. Um is that still undecided? What do you mean? Eli Eliam. If you say it fast, you can kind of get away with both. What 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 is what's everybody going with? I've seen Eli the most. They're just shortening it. Okay. Um so Missouri's got a long way to go in terms of recruiting, but you know, short short turnaround, we'll see. And then Vanderbilt, and then you've got Ole Miss. And I think the question for Ole Miss is less about tomorrow and more about what happens in the six weeks between the early signing period and the first Wednesday in the month of February. Is Lane Kiffin or are Lane Kiffin and his staff going to be able to reel in some commitments that weren't otherwise possible? Is there much buzz about that at this point, Rippy? There are one or two probably signing tomorrow, but yes, definitely some, and then that'll also depend on how he kind of fills out the staff once Black Monday and the NFL hits. Yeah. I heard in part of an interview with Jerry Hamilton, who is ESPN's recruiting analyst, or one of ESPN's recruiting analysts earlier today, and he was pointing out that Ole Miss was one that was interesting to watch tomorrow 
um, because of the Lane Kiffin effect, whatever that turns out to uh, to be one way or the other. Uh, C Spire text line 601-879-4395. Jason, who is listening in Flagstaff, says, Dan Mullen with a boatload of four stars a couple of years in a row, already winning, already winning ten games a year, terrifying to me with the way he has developed players in his past. Yeah, it certainly sounds like he wants to go to the NFL, though. I don't know if you saw the video of him. Well, we talked about it last week when you were out of uh, a recent interview he did, and the reporter asked him about the rumors that were out there that uh, the Dallas Cowboys may pursue him, and he lit up like a Christmas tree, man, and his voice got all high, and his well, you know, they've never called me, so I've never considered it. But if they called me, I, you know, I would, I would consider it then. He it's the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, of course he would. Yeah, but I don't think that Dan Mullen would actually be a candidate for very many NFL jobs at this point. It's gonna be seven of them open, at least. Uh, C Spire text line ESPN sending a crew to Oxford. I think uh, Tony Barnhart will be in Oxford covering the early signing period tomorrow for ESPN and SEC Network. Might be a year premature on that. Well, but I mean, they're covering it because they think there's a story there. Oh, yeah. And uh, I mean, you just kind of look at the national media hits that Lane Kiffin has done in the last week, and you can tell that people are interested in talking to him and hearing from him. from today, Christmas Eve. Can you believe that? On Christmas Eve, starting at 6 p.m. and all Christmas Day, join us for a Mississippi Christmas on Super Talk Mississippi. We'll play the greatest Christmas songs ever recorded, plus a bunch of Christmas music from our fellow Mississippians. It's all hosted by Steve Azar. He'll even break out the guitar and share a song and talk to some of his celebrity friends about their favorite Christmas memories. That's a Mississippi Christmas starting on Christmas Eve at 6 p.m. right here on Super Talk Mississippi. So if you're out and about, flip it on the radio. You'll have some fun with that. Uh, appreciate Steve Azar's work on uh, on that. No, a lot goes into uh, getting that ready. He and uh, Will East have done a uh, boatload of work to uh, get that ready for you on Christmas Eve and throughout Christmas Day. Bor- Borky, have you helped with that also? Zero uh, percent. Okay, I was going to give you credit if I could, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> uh, my uh, my duties around here are limited to really just this show, which is kind of nice. I can spend a lot of time on it, but also I wonder, why does nobody ask for my help ever? Yeah, uh, careful saying that out loud. You may find more on your plate than uh, you were bargaining for. Uh, somebody sends, uh, sends us a text uh, on the C Spire text line. Surprise flip could be Emmanuel Forbes, four-star, state to Ole Miss. Hmm. Take your word for it. And, and, and I'm not being flippant when I say that. Uh, Emmanuel Forbes is a cornerback from Grenada that has been committed to Mississippi State since February of this year. Uh, that's according to 24-7 Sports. So... I, I was talking with somebody about this um, earlier today, and I said, 
you realize that uh, the early signing period, National Signing Day is tomorrow. They're like, what? Really? And I said, yeah, it's kind of snuck up on me this year, too. And you think you get to the end of football season. That ended, what, regular season two and a half weeks ago. And then you, or maybe it was three weeks ago. And then you have the conference championship games and bowl games start this Saturday. And then squeezed in between all of this is National Signing Day or the early signing period. And, you know, a year ago there was some novelty to this. You remember there were a bunch of coaches that were against the idea of, of plugging in the National Signing Day right here? With a little bit of time to think about it, and, and I don't know that we're putting the toothpaste back in the tube, this just doesn't feel like a great spot for signing day, does it? No. Or do you like it? I'm kind of indifferent. To tell you the truth, and I know we're going to talk a lot about recruiting tomorrow, and I promise I will give maximum effort into making sure you know we do it right, but... I cannot follow recruiting all year long. I was telling Rippy earlier today that when breaking news becomes a 17-year-old's top 12 schools, I'm out. Like, you lose me there. Following recruiting is just difficult for me to do. A kid's going to pick where he wants to go, and once he decides that, then we'll talk about it. But until then, I'm just not keen on following. And most of it's because of the slant. You can get... Like, when these kids go to these all-star games, right? Like, we had one here in Mississippi recently, but... They have them everywhere. Um, I know South Carolina has three of them because why not? Two, a kid can be recruited by, let's call it, Alabama and Clemson. He will give the same quotes in the same interview, and if you read the Alabama site's side of it, you think he is a lock to go to Alabama. If you read the, read the Clemson's site's depiction of what he said, he's a lock to go to Clemson. So the information that you can get most of the time is slanted one way or the other. And I just I can't bring myself to be so focused on a slanted article about a 17-year-old. I try. I just can't do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand that. I, I think recruiting is a hard business to cover because you got to be either uniquely talented or just I don't know, desperate to be in the sports media industry and you felt like that was your way in, that is a hard job. And I'm not being flippant when I say that. This is not – when I say this, I'm not directing it at anybody specifically that covers recruiting for Mississippi State or for Ole Miss or for Alabama or for Clemson or Georgia. When you think about it, I mean, you're starting out the year with, what, four, five, six hundred names – you got to familiarize yourself with all of them. If you're covering recruiting in a way that is, you know, you're trying to be fair, you got to attempt to build relationships with hundreds of 16, 17, 18 year olds and try and figure out who's really influencing them and whether or not they're telling you the truth or they're just telling you what you want to hear. And then you've got to try and constantly put out that information and keep up with what is just a constantly evolving process. I think it's a hard job. It's one of the harder jobs in sports media to do well. So I, I get you, Borky, on that front. And again, I feel like it has kind of snuck up on us this year that you know we've made it to the early signing period, National Signing Day. Now, I said a second ago, I don't think I love the timing of it, and I, I don't think generally speaking coaches do. But you're seeing so many more early enrollees now that maybe this is helping more players get on campus early 
than you might would have had early uh, previously. So, so what was the route prior to this? You could even if you couldn't sign a national letter of intent, you could sign grant and aid papers. I think it was that would allow you to go ahead and enroll at a school at the at the semester break as an early enrollee, and then officially sign the letter of intent in February. Is that how it worked? It would lock the school into you, but not you into the school. So if you sign okay. the, those papers, for example, if a kid signed that paper with Ole Miss, Ole Miss would have to bring him in if that's where he wanted to go. But sure. he could have gotten out of that. It's basically holding your spot, or it was holding your spot. But if you sign those papers, can you enroll in January for the start of the new semester? I believe so, yes. Okay. Uh, so that's coming up. We'll get to a, a ton of that tomorrow. Let's get to some NFL stuff from the uh, the weekend as well. So a couple of games. Uh, obviously, Monday Night Football was huge last night with uh, Drew Brees becoming the all-time touchdown passing leader in NFL history. Uh, number 540 broke the record, and then he went on to uh, throw another touchdown pass. Was it one more or two more after he broke the record? It was the third. The, the, the second touchdown pass tied the record the third broke the record, right. and then he threw a fourth touchdown pass in the game. Yeah, just for fun, to Taysom Hill. Yeah. A um, lot of celebrating last night in the Big Easy. What about on Saturday or on Sunday? Cowboys really needed a win, and they got it in a big way over the Rams. Really not even all that competitive, but 263 yards on the ground. Was that a peek into what we need to see Dallas do if they're going to have any success in the playoffs? Yeah, and I was telling you guys all summer about uh, Tony Pollard. Uh, I mean, the kid could, I mean, he could really play. And he was the, the reason why I said they shouldn't pay Zeke all that money, but it looks like it's going to work out for them anyway. I can't decide if that win tells me something about them or not because the Rams, even though they've been good the last couple of weeks, they have not been the same Rams we've been accustomed to thinking that they are for the last couple of years. It's a very different football team. But physically dominating them the way they did is, I mean, it's hard to ignore. I just, you need to see it again. They need to do the same thing in Philly this week because they should be a significantly better football team than them. And they have the division on the line. AFC right now, Ravens, Patriots, Chiefs, and Bills have clinched playoff spots. Uh, the Ravens have, have they clinched home field at this point? No, they've clinched their division. Okay, so the Ravens have clinched their division. The Patriots have clinched a playoff spot. The Chiefs have clinched their division. And the Bills have clinched a spot in the playoffs. The Texans currently lead the division for that fourth spot. And then you've got the um, the extra wild card spot as well, where currently the Steelers and the Titans are both eight and six. But the Steelers would currently have the tiebreaker over the Titans based on their winning percentage in conference games. That's in the AFC. NFC side of things, Seahawks. Packers, 49ers have all clinched spots in the playoff with the Seahawks leading their division, the Packers leading their division. The Saints have won their division, and the Cowboys at 7-7 seven and seven <laughs> could, 
currently lead their division. Minnesota Vikings are kind of the next team and are likely to be that final wild card team. That was a really bad loss for the Rams to the Cowboys. In terms of uh, Dallas and Philadelphia and the division, Dallas wins the tiebreaker currently over Philadelphia based on head-to-head winning percentage. And is it this weekend that those two teams will play each other or is it the final week of the regular season? It is this weekend. Fox game this coming Sunday afternoon. So 325 kickoff, and then the Cowboys close it out with the Redskins. So if they beat the Eagles, they clinch. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. You on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Kind of a light night of college basketball. Yeah, you've got through finals week. It's starting to pick back up a little bit, but you've got the holidays just around the corner. So if you want to watch college hoops tonight, you've got Florida and Providence coming from Barclays Center. That's at 6 o'clock tonight. So you've got what one? only four teams that are ranked in the top 25 that are actually playing tonight. And in terms of SEC games or SEC teams, Florida's the only one. Things kind of pick up tomorrow night and then really busy weekend coming up in uh, in and around college basketball and specifically in the uh, the SEC. Um, Borky, did the NFL entertain you this weekend? It always does, but this weekend was... It had a few weird storylines to it. I mean, you had the snow game in Kansas City. I mean, buried deep in snow. And I don't know if you knew this. I said this uh, on the show a couple of times. It's just funny to me. Drew Locke, now the starting quarterback in Denver. Uh, His ex-girlfriend's dad owns the Chiefs. Really? Yeah. And uh, she's actually the heir to... So her dad inherited the team from his dad, who was an oil tycoon. She's the next in line. Yeah, the Hunts. She, she's the next in line to own the team. So Drew Locke lost to his ex-girlfriend's NFL team. Mm, uh, over salt the in the wound. I, I mean, maybe he was the one that broke up. Who knows? And, he, you know, he's in a new relationship, so good for him. Seems to be doing okay. You know, starting quarterback in the NFL and stuff. I think financially, you know, he'll be fine. Uh, but you had that. You had. Yeah, you, you said it snowed. I, I sat in the, um, the lobby of our hotel and watched part of that game on Sunday afternoon. Eh, it snowed. It impressed me. I'm kidding. <laughs> it was snowing. Now, I, you, you have to admit, I was looking at the window at almost two feet of snow when I said that. Um, but it was crazy. And I love watching football games like that. Like, you, you don't want every single game to be that way. But by the time you get to mid-December, yeah, I need some snow football games in my life. And that was a great one. I, just, I don't know if it was a great game. The Chiefs looked awfully comfortable in it. Broncos, not so much. And the Chiefs won 23-3. I do like the snow accumulation on like the helmets and the sho- like the coaches' shoulders and hats. Like it's snowing so bad that they're moving around and it's still sticking to them. I love that. But you have that. How much snow did they actually get during the game? I mean, was it like five or six inches during the game? It was constant from start to finish. And they Fantastic. cleared they cleared the field, but that got buried quickly. And during breaks, I mean, they were having to take you know their shovels and clear out the paths of the line so you could see where they were on the field. Absolutely love it. You like a snow game, Rippy? I do. 
I said that about Army Navy a couple of times, and I got accused of being a communist shortly after for saying the triple option wasn't the greatest thing to hit college football since sliced well, bread. I mean, I you are what you snow. are. Yeah. So do we see right through you, buddy. I know. You enjoyed Mississippi State snowball. I wasn't old enough to remember that. What year was that? Were you really not old enough? He was like three. Year? 2000? I was four pushing five. Is 2000 the right year? Mississippi State, Texas A&M, and the Independence Bowl. That was crazy. Uh, Patriots over the Bengals, 34-13. Borky, the, the, the video of the Patriots cheating scandal is becoming more incriminating by the day, isn't it? I don't understand how anybody can have the opinion that they weren't there for nefarious reasons. Well, that's what everything else was left up to subjectivity. This seems pretty cut and dry. I find it weird they all operate like robots. That guy almost had a Belichick accent. We can delete it. I can't do the impression yeah, very well, but I, you, you're catching my drift, hopefully. But there are still people that, oh, this is nothing. This is nothing. Well, there may be nothing that you can get from the video, but there was clearly a guy there that was an employee of the owner of the Patriots that was filming the Cincinnati Bengals sideline, just the sideline, and when he got caught, tried to scheme his way out of it. Patriots deal in half-truths a lot, don't they? Like, like even in their admission that, well, yeah, this was against the rules, but we didn't realize that it was a contract employee, except it wasn't a contract employee, right? Full-time guy. Like, did they think that wasn't going to get out? Well, they even had, like, the generated excuses. He was saying he could get on-field perspective. He was saying, or he was trying to get on-field perspective. He was saying, damage isn't done, I can delete it. Like, very weird. I know it's the 1-15 in Bengals, but it is a first-year head coach and a conference opponent with entirely new signals. And it's still the NFL. And it just makes you wonder what they're doing for other people. But, again... Whatever it was, it worked. Gilmore picked off Andy Dalton twice. That game was close there for a while. The Patriots have offensive problems. If you just look at the the score of that game, you think, ah, they dominated bad team. No, they struggled. They are not good right now at all. So maybe that's why they need uh, a videographer to uh, record their opponent's sideline. But you can hear it it in the guy's voice. It would have been tied at half. It would have been tied at half, but the Bengals were like, this feels way too good. I'm going to muff a punt at half. Got a free (laughs) field goal. Um. Ravens 42-21 over the Jets. Are the Baltimore Ravens the biggest surprise in the NFL this year? They have to be. At 12 and 2, I mean nobody saw that coming. Even if you even if you were buying the Ravens coming into the year all the way back in August or the first week of September, you weren't buying to the point of 12 and 2. No, he did it, win six of his last seven to get in the playoffs last year, but then they spent the entire offseason basically being like, hey, this is exactly who we are. I mean, this is the most unconventional NFL offense in a long time. It's tight ends and fullbacks and running backs. And they're scoring at a high clip. And even though it's tight ends and running backs and fullbacks, five touchdown passes for Lamar Jackson. They also do that thing. I'm not discounting it. I think he throws the ball fine. I never thought, I never knew whether he'd be a bad quarterback or not. I know that was a great hot take fodder. But when they get down to the one, they love to throw a short little pass to kind of pad the, uh, 
number. Not that that really matters. I just kind of find that funny. When they're down by the two, after he's run for 60 yards on a drive, they're going to dump that thing off to the tight end in the flats, no doubt. Yeah, but isn't that wide open as a result of what he's been able to do with the ball in his hand? Yeah, I, I, I just, I think it's kind of funny. Like, I think they're trying, I think they, I think they, obviously it works, but I think they're trying to make a little bit of a point, even if not, like, partly subconsciously, I guess. Yeah, so, so to your point, a five yard touchdown pass to Miles Boykin, a one yard touchdown pass to Mark Andrews, uh, 24 yard touchdown pass to Marquise Brown, 33 to Seth Roberts, and a 10 yard pass from Lamar Jackson to Mark Ingram. So three of his five touchdown passes were 10 yards or less. Okay. He's not taking anything away from him. He throws the ball fine. Although you will notice against good defenses, his numbers have been kind of down throwing the ball. One in every three completed passes against the Jets was for a touchdown. 15 of 23 for 212 yards and five touchdowns in the game. Yeah, the Jets are bad. Jets have most guys, I think, in NFL history on IR. <clears throat> What else stood out to you from the weekend? Mm. Well, we mentioned the final game in Oakland and the 49ers somehow losing to the Falcons, which just opens the door for the NFC playoff seating to be bizarre. I mean, now you're back in the situation where you can have, I mean, freaking San Francisco as the five seed going to the winner of Dallas-Philly this week. I mean, that, if you're one of those two, and that sucks for you because that's a really good football team that, thanks to one loss to the Falcons, could be left out of hosting a playoff game at all. The AFC North will be interesting, or excuse me, AFC East will be interesting once Brady leaves. Like the Jets stink defensively, Darnold's pretty good, and the Bills are like a legitimate. Like they're good. They're going to be good for a long time, I think. <clears throat> Allen has accuracy problems. I don't understand the idea of them. He's what six five, six six. He's huge. Every single one of one of his what he's got four receivers under six feet in that right, Borky? Something like that, yeah. Why would you stick it to somewhat inaccurate quarterback with small targets? I hadn't figured that one out because he had two picks in that game the other night, and one of them went off Beasley's hand, and one of them wasn't great, but like could have been caught by Julio or something like that. Not that Julio Jones is growing trees, but like, <laughs> well, I, they passed up on looking, one in the draft yeah. this past year. It's a very fun, but uh, it's a very funny looking team though, because it's like that tiny back Singletary, a bunch of tiny receivers, and then just this giant under center. Texans beat Tennessee twenty four twenty one. I don't know what's happening to my voice. It's like it's just going away all of a sudden. Another big day for AJ Brown: eight catches, hundred fourteen yards, and a touchdown. They missed Adam Humphreys really bad, but AJ played well. Is AJ Brown going to be an all rookie on the all rookie team? I would have, I would feel more comfortable saying yes if I saw like all of the rookie numbers, but I don't. I can't think of a rookie wide receiver that's had a better year than he has. He's got forty-seven catches for eight hundred ninety-three yards and seven touchdowns, and is second in the NFL in yards per catch, averaging nineteen yards per catch. Okay, now I feel a little better. Yes, the only rookie that's close to him is DK Metcalf, who at one point was considered not even a top ten player in the state of Mississippi. <laughs> He's a one-trick pony. That's all he can do. Well, but in fairness, there were a lot of people that weren't sure about DK Metcalf based on what you saw in the combine. Uh, uh, DK Metcalf, two hundred thirty pound guy running a four three, yeah, uh, scared me away from him. He had two catches and a uh, touchdown for the year. DK Metcalf, fifty two catches, tied for eighth in the NFL, eight hundred nineteen yards, six touchdowns. 
And he's top 15 in the league, averaging 15.8 yards per catch. Who could have seen that coming? Nobody. Let's talk Mississippi. We'll wrap it up next with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.